You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. G'day guys, Trent Fleskins here from The Perth Property Show. We've got a cracking episode coming up. Let's get straight into it. Today we're talking Money Management 101 and to help us with that conversation, we've got Kieran McAleen from Provident Financial Services. How are you going, Kieran? Very good, Trent. Thank you for having me. Karen, thanks for coming in. I know we've got to say a couple of quick words just to cover off all bases. We do. You're an associate financial planner for Paul Carter, PTYLTD, trading as Provident Financial Services, and you're an authorized representative of AMP Financial Planning. And we've just got to remind everyone that this segment will just be general advice only and that it's not intended as personal recommendations. Everyone should consider if the information suits their circumstances. Karen, Let's get straight into it. I want to talk on a really basic level today, how we're going to be able to manage our funds on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, whatever works for us, Uh, especially if we've personally found that finances, money, numbers really hasn't been a strong suit for us as a family unit. It's a really good point. I think that anything that you're particularly interested in, you're going to pay more attention to. The days of telling people of breaking down their complete budget and spending habits on a day-to-day basis may be a little bit out of the picture for a lot of people might even be a little bit overwhelming but if you can give yourself the small wins and seeing things add up i think that's where i've seen a lot of interest develop in people and what i mean for example is it could be a case that you look at your monthly direct debits for your insurances or your phone bill anything that you would normally spend on a routine basis and challenge yourself to see how you can save in what those areas are for the same or similar service and then sometimes it might only seem it's only five ten dollars a month here or there but if you can bring up an excel sheet or have a record and just jot down those savings five ten dollars for each month and then you work out how much you are saving per month or per year it really starts to that can become a holiday exactly and that's and flights to africa or america and barley even on it. you know it's, it's a difference between being stuck in perth for the year or actually having that extra couple of grand and being able to take the family on a quick trip somewhere and that's the first point we want to understand is it's about setting goals absolutely because without having something in mind or something to work towards it's very difficult it's difficult to save money without a goal or an objective in mind because it's a daily choice isn't it you know that five dollar coffee five times a week is twenty five dollars a week it's a hundred dollars a month there's a couple of flights to asia going out quickly to Macca's or whatnot there's daily choices that on a daily basis, on an individual basis, don't seem like much. Uh, but then at the end of the day, if that becomes a behavior, mm. that's the difference between you and your family staying in for Christmas this year and your next door neighbors who are in the same situation as you having that money in the bank. You're right. It, it all adds up. We all have friends of our similar age that we know when they are going traveling because they hold themselves back from some of the spending that mm. they're they're doing throughout the week or throughout the the weekend and you can see that there's you can see when someone's got an objective there straight away or they might be saving for a house deposit when you've got that goal there or that idea everything else just seems to fall into place and you find that just naturally you'll get your brain working you'll start thinking of different ways to save money or potentially make money i think the most important part of that goal is setting a financial number to it whilst there is obviously an objective to having that goal Mm. it isn't saving for a holiday that shouldn't be the goal it should be saving five thousand dollars for the holiday or fifty thousand dollars for the deposit or $15,000 for a new car. There needs to be a level of specifics about it so that we can then reverse engineer that back to when do we need the goal 
and therefore on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, what do we need to put away to get there? That's right. And I think that taking away that self-motivation and relying on habit Mm. is a much better and important way to save for a goal because the less you're having to think about decisions like that, the better it is. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you're getting paid fortnightly or on a monthly salary, if you were to allocate a percentage of that money into a savings account, then you're living below your means essentially with what you've got left in your bank account to spend. So of course, everyone's situation, circumstance is different. But I think if you can get into the habit of always saving something Mm. towards something, that's significant. I think it gives people a lot of purpose as well. It gives them a goal and to chip away at a goal that seems maybe too big to begin with, but over time, you're starting to knock it down or, or you can see it actually building up and balancing, getting closer to it. It's very satisfying, yeah. Yeah, and that moves to our next point, I think, is you referenced how much we're putting away, right? Mm. And how we figure that out. Well, I think to be able to figure that out, we need to know how much we can put away. There's no point saying I'm going to put yep. away 30% of my income uh, or 600 bucks uh, a month or whatever it is if you actually get to the end of the month and realize that that's just not a reality even when you try it. So I think setting that actual, as you referenced before as well, an Excel spreadsheet, mm. getting a budget together where you've listed out on all the rows, all your income sources, and then all your expenses, mm. totaling them up on a monthly basis amongst the columns, mm. and then being able to track how much do I plan to have in disposable income left over for fun and for savings. And that gives you a chance to then decide how much you want to save and how much you want to spend. I think you've got to be realistic with yourself too because you've got to have a balance. You've got to have a balance in life. You still have to enjoy your life. Otherwise, that goal will fall away. It just won't seem worthwhile. That's right. So we've got the goal. We've got the Excel spreadsheet up and running. We're checking that every month to make sure that it's in line with our expectations. We're going through the bank statements to make sure we understand what we are actually spending and where we can cut away a little bit more. Mm. The next step is really starting to understand what we're going to do with that money. Yeah. Once you get the basics right and you get a handle of your own finances, it can be quite empowering as well because it gives you a lot of opportunity. You're making the choices. What you're saving towards or what your goal is, I mean, everyone is completely different. We've just spoken about consumerist goals just now, but what we want to be talking about is saving to invest so that at some point in the future, because of a number of factors, we've got a lot more than just that hourly saving rate. And I think the first point there is investing in yourself and educating yourself as to what would be the best way to invest your money in. That is the most important lesson because let's say if I wanted to be a chef or someone told me I had to cook in front of 200 people, I wouldn't just jump in there without doing any research or any reading or any experience or any practice first. For something like that, you'd want to build up your your skill set and your experiences before you went into it, before Mm. you chose what you were going to serve. And I think that it's almost underestimated how much opportunity our own financial circumstances and our own financial planning essentially has on our entire life. And if you can invest in yourself first, then in life, you will avoid the pitfalls or the mistakes. Someone will come to you and go, oh, look, I've got this really good idea, like we're all going to make a whole lot of money or it could be, you know, look, we're looking to invest in this or um, we, we shouldn't invest in that. If you're armed with the education and the experience of being well-read and, and understand even just the basics of financials and returns, then you're arming yourself with opportunity to avoid those losses. And as people like Warren Buffett say, rule number one is don't lose any money. Rule number two is don't lose any money. <laughs> I think once you understand the power of compounding interest and that's where money's working for you instead of you working for money your world just completely changes because then you realize that you can use time in your advantage 
to, to takes make patience this. though, doesn't it? It, it does. compound the whole point of compounding interest <laughs> is you're not going to see it in the first couple of years. No, and it's exponential. So the smallest growth is in those first years. I'm someone who likes to look forward, and and sometimes I look too far forward, as, as my partner might complain. But if you're even to look online as motivation to see how compounding interest works, there's great compounding calculators out there. And I know that the, even the Australian government on Money Money Smart has one. You can put in what your savings amount is and then you can play around with the different inputs. You can say, right, what does the situation look when I'm 60 years old or 40 years old? If I'm contributing $1,000 a month and it's compounding it, whatever percentage you put in there. So you might say, right, look, I'm going to put in the percentage I'm currently getting in my bank yep. account as opposed to the Australian stock market Or average. a managed fund. Yeah. yeah. Or, or the average of a property investment. Property growth. Yeah. Yep. And then to look at that over time and then you'll see at the end of the bar graph, the money's being made off that compounding effect and it is extraordinary and it's exponential and... Very passive. It is. As long as, you know, one, you've got the right people helping you and we yep. can talk about that later. This definitely isn't a pitch chat mm-hmm. here like always. But one thing I really want to clear up is when we're talking about investing in yourself, we're definitely not talking about spending $5,000 on weekend programs from roadshow workshops and people coming mm-hmm. in from America or the East Coast or whatever saying, you know, come over to this workshop and we'll teach you how to be millionaires. Yep. That's not investing in your that's education. Right. That's being sold a product. It's really about getting the right people around you. Yes. We've all got mates who are really bad with money and really good with money. And just having those conversations about what they're doing, what they're reading. You're a bit of a finance nerd, Kieran. What are you reading at the moment? Or what have you read that you've found really important to just getting some good basics from the, from the get-go? I had never been a big reader. Mm-hmm. So I was lacking in probably the information that I was really interested in. And when I mean reading, I'm, I enjoy reading articles, but I couldn't really find the time to sit down and read book after book after book. Mm. And I was envious or jealous of the people that could just sit down and, and read these books. So to access the information and finding a way to educate yourself, however you work best because everyone's different is, is quite important. And for me, my world kind of opened up when I started listening to audiobooks. Well, there you go. So, there are a number of good quality finance podcasts out there. Yeah, I'm talking globally as well. Of course, there's going to be some differences when you're comparing Australian finances with America or Europe or whatever the case may be. But I'm a big fan of books because if someone has put their life's work into 400 pages or whatever it's going to be and you're paying for that product, you can assume that there's going to be some quality. There's there's going to be some... Diligence. Correct. Integrity. Yes. Yep. So, I think it's, again, it all comes back to these habits and if you can try and everyone struggles with it and everyone always will. But if you can try and fit these habits into daily, weekly, monthly routine and then set yourself those goals... I try and read a book a week and when I mean read, I listen to an audio book in the car and Mm. it's simple as instead of me listening to the radio on the way to work and on the way home, I listen to half an hour of an audio book on the way to work and half an hour on the way home and usually by the weekends up, I'll finish a, a book a week. That's nearly groundbreaking in terms of how normal people can access information without it being a chore. Yeah, and that's only come on in the last few years, really, hasn't it? Yeah. That's I mean, right. this this podcast is exactly the same thing. You know, yeah. people listen to this in the car, on the train, at work, at night. Uh, you don't have to be sitting there, you know, turning a page. No, which can, which can be. You, you know. can do it when you're watering the garden or or washing the cars. Mm. 
as I do. And I think the manner that you absorb that information best is what people to look at. But once you've learned something, you never regret learning it. So if you can learn as much about whatever you're interested in, for me personally, it, it is and has been for a very long time, personal finances and just getting around the the distraction of noise and news and what's right and what's wrong and what's mm. the best option and, and coming to your own conclusions. That's when I come back to that point of once you're educated and you know someone comes along and says, oh, I've got this idea, you're armed with information. Mm. And of course, there probably is no better way of learning than learning yourself and making those mistakes. And by, yeah, learning by doing. Yeah. As long as it's, you know, <laughs> you're uh, not selling the farm to do so. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think this leads into that last point. I always want to make sure that before I'm hiring a professional, I'm learning enough not to do what they do, mm. but to know how to make sure that what they're doing is probably the right idea or if they're doing it efficiently enough or well enough. Yeah. I think that last point I want to talk about is simply getting a good team of financial savvy experts around you yes to be able to make good decisions and we're going to touch you know briefly because we've obviously got another episode talking about what makes a good financial planner just briefly on what are financial planners doing in this situation Mm. and when do you need one when do you probably not need one most importantly it when you're choosing any kind of professional service you want to get along with the person that you're building the relationship with. That's only going to benefit both people. If you've met someone, whether it's any an accountant or a, or a financial planner, a broker, a broker, a real estate agent, whatever it is, I think that the most important thing is that you trust that person and then you share you can, values. Yep, share values. You can speak openly and you can speak honestly with that person. If yep. you're not happy with something, you know that you're both on the same level playing field that no one's going to get offended. You can ask those tricky questions you may not be able to or you may not feel comfortable asking someone else. But I think that unfortunately, we live in a, in a world and especially in Australia where most people get their financial advice which sets up their entire life. From the parents. Yeah, or around the barbecue. Oh, yeah, friends and family. Yep. I find this whole concept very intriguing because the talk of money and investments is such a taboo topic. So it's almost like you go to school, right? And you're sent off to school by your parents and your parents are expecting the fees that they pay at school to educate you for mm. life. So your parents are leaving this responsibility to the school, but the school is kind of leaving the responsibility to the parents to teach the money management and the financial intelligence that mm. is so important. And in a lot of people's families or circumstances, talking about money is seen as a taboo subject. It's not that often that a lot of families will sit around with children and talk about money at the dinner table. And I guess, unfortunately, because it's not that open, honest conversation at all times, people are seeking other alternatives to find the education or the information. And that's where people get trapped. Setting yourself up correctly and and meeting those correct professionals that you get along with. And I would say for for everything. A good gym coach who, who knows you, uh, an accountant that you trust and who knows you personally. Clearly just cares about the outcome and isn't just processing you like a number. Exactly. That's easy enough to find out. You know, we, we may not be particularly savvy on everything we hire our professionals to do for us. Yes. But one thing we should all be able to do is understand when someone has our best interests at heart and yep. we're getting ethics and value for the, the time and the money that we're putting in. Yeah, that's right. There really is a bit of a process here. It's not just leaving this episode and going straight to the first financial planning you see on Facebook or whatnot. I think it starts from understanding your own finances first, yeah. getting back to basics, doing some work on Excel, for example, or on the back of a piece of paper, yeah, or whatever I'll it is, it mm. to understand where, what your situation is. And what you what, want. What your goals are, yeah, exactly. What you're working towards. Whether you think you can make them and readjusting them. 
educating yourself to be able to then figure out what you want from a professional, what you need, from, what gaps you have, yep. and then hiring a professional You know, if you believe, and only if you believe that you're going to get value out of it at the end of the day. And comparing value, comparing to what you understand value. Some people might be seeking the professional services of someone like a financial planner as a once-off. Mm. Some people want an ongoing relationship and that the ongoing relationship is where it's customizable as well, depending on budget, depending on what the client needs, how comprehensive the advice piece is. They might want to visit and see and have a, a one-on-one meeting with a financial planner once a year, twice a year, once every three years. Mm. It's completely circumstantial to that person and their objectives and their goals. But I think most importantly, if people work out what they want, everything else falls into place and then you can seek those professional services. Kieran, thanks a lot for your time. Hopefully have you again. Thanks, Trent. Anytime. Okay, so for today's Suburb Spotlight, we are talking Forest Field. And of course, the only person I want to speak to with regards to this suburb is Mr. Forest Field. It is Glenn Newland from Professionals. Glenn, thanks for coming in. Hey, Trent. Thanks for having me, mate. Glenn, Forest Field is, for me, a sleeping giant. I've been saying this for a year and a half now at our business updates. Uh, we've been speaking about your suburb for a while and waiting for things to kick off in the mainstream. And I would suggest it probably hasn't gotten the kudos it probably deserves at this point. Can we talk about the history of Forest Field, why it's a sleeping giant in the first place and how things are moving into today, what sort of people are buying in Forestfield? Yeah, Trent, a little bit of history about Forestfield is I came from the top of the hills and I suppose Forestfield was one of the suburbs where there was a few more rentals, there was a bit more state housing through Forestfield. It was not such a desirable suburb. Um, location's always been great, but I suppose just not many people using it. It was more of a first home buyer, sort of get in there, buy an investment property, kind of get out sort of suburb. 30 um, years ago, it wasn't really close to much, was it? No, it wasn't. And now you look at the um, the coastline, you know, how far the suburbs stretch up and down the coast, which I understand. We're in Perth, it's a beach town, but Forestfield is 16K from the city. You know, we've got a train line coming there. Something that people don't realize about Forestfield as well is that the traffic, when you go east from the city, it's just, when you get to Forestfield, it kind of stops. Yes. Because once you get past Forestfield, you're getting into half acres, quarter acres, hectares, and then farming land. Yeah. So you really don't suffer all that traffic that they do if you're going north or south from the city. I guess you've benefited a lot from the Gateway WA operations that have finished up now through Tonkin Highway, Reed Highway, Roe Highway, things must be a lot quicker to get back home from the city. I live in Forestfield, Trent, and we used to go to Vic Park a lot for dinner. Getting through that section near the airport of Tonkin Highway, that was just how long is a piece of string. You know, on, on each day, it could take you 20 minutes, 25 minutes just to get through that section of Tonkin. Now, even in peak hour traffic, I can get from Vic Park to Forestfield in 13 minutes and you're only hitting one set of traffic lights the whole way. And it's free-flowing the whole way. It's Big amazing. difference. Big yep. difference. And I guess we'll talk about it later, but with the airport link coming through, that suburb is going to be as accessible as any other as well. Before I interrupted you, we touched on the history of Forest Field. Give us, give us some more of that background and, and how it's changed over the last three, four decades. Well, one of the main things that did happen is that State Housing gave me a call a few years back and said, hey, look, we're going to sell a whole bunch of houses in Forestfield. They sent through a list of 23 houses. Now, look, they were probably some of the houses that needed to be moved on. A few of them were just the, just the ones in the suburb that you sort of drive by and you think, oh, it would be nicer, nicer suburb if that wasn't there. So a lot of that has happened. So I think there was about 18 of them that they'd already moved on. Now, that makes a big difference to a suburb. You know, when you, when you take 18 properties and look, they were just 
you know they were just not desirable places yeah, so one you, house can ruin a street and if that's 18 streets yeah that's that's exactly right uh, they were condensed into one sort of area which was the old side of forest field so all of these properties were probably in one third of forest field as well near Hartfield. Yes, sort of part, yeah. through Hartfield. So some of the properties, um, some of the streets, sorry, Agincourt Drive, Moira. Um, there was one called Guava, which was quite condensed with them as well. So they've all kind of been moved on. Those properties have either been knocked over and people have chopped up the blocks now or they've renovated the front house and they're maybe battle-axing them. And some people are just holding on to them as well because they picked them up for a steal. Yeah, and that is where that subdivision potential really is seeing some difference happening to the area and we can talk about that as well mm. uh what sort of buyers have we got coming into forest field is it young families i suspect young families yeah we've got a lot of young families coming back in there now we did have about four or five years ago when they at, at the same sort of time they released about the train line coming through they also started talking about the rezoning coming through forest field shopping center got bought out by hawaiians and then they started talking about redeveloping that so and they did they did, yeah. They've done a wonderful job. So we did have a lot of a lot of investors coming in and buying stuff up. Then, an example: if you bought a thousand square meter block on the old side of Forest Field, you're paying about five hundred and thirty thousand for it. You probably pick up the same thing now for four thirty. Yeah. So I remember having these conversations with you on yeah. some of the blocks, tussling back and forth, you know, thousand dollar, thousand dollar to try and get it around that four thirty price. And and I'd also do remember seeing a lot of properties that had sold very quickly in the mid five hundreds three yeah. years earlier yeah and it's been really hard for those people to come to grips with the fact that their properties have come back that hard and people who are now selling those properties now same situation you know they've taken a big hit on them but what we are seeing is these not so many investors coming in and, and jumping in and snatching them up which i do find amazing but they're getting bought by just the probably back to what forest food used to be with just people who want sort of bigger blocks they know there's development opportunity there in the future whether they do it or they don't do it that's to be seen but they do actually love coming out and having room for a pool. Workshops are still really popular out there. There's heaps of big sheds. So it's the young family making a smart buy rather than that yeah. quick developer. Yeah, and I think that's sort of people, you know, mine and your age in their sort of 30s who are saying, hey, look, let's get into the marketplace, but let's get something which we know is going to be a good future investment. In, also in Forest Field, you've got a lot of, um, you know, new blocks coming available through Saddley's estate, um, but people are tossing up okay, do I go and buy a 400 square meter block or do I buy a 1,000 square meter block yeah. for similar sorts and of And sell price a 400 things. square meter block in the future. Yeah, look, I know me and you, Trent, obviously think differently to a, you know other people that just want the, the brand new shiny thing in a 400 square meter block. Um, I see the appeal from both sides, but if I had to make a decision on what I would be buying, I know I'd be going for that big block and, and land banking right now. Well, hold that thought. That was the question I'll ask you at the end of the uh, segment. Yep. I guess that makes sense. We've got the young families coming in. I would suspect a lot of these young families are uh, people who were brought up in that area by their parents who bought in the 70s and 80s. And these guys have grown up through that time, bringing the kids back into the area because they see value in it or they see renewal. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk if, if we're going to be one of these buyers. What can we buy? Let's let's go from the cheapest property we can we can think of in Forestville. So it might be a unit, yep. uh, all the way up to those big development blocks. What are the options and the price points? Starting points in Forestfield, price-wise, you're looking at about 250 grand. You'll get some stuff a little bit cheaper than that. That's cheap. What do you get for that? Oh, you'll probably get a three by one villa for okay. that. Um, you'll get some of the blocks that have been subdivided already. The original front houses you'll pick up around the. I think we've got one on at 259 right now. You know, which is sitting on a 400 square meter block, just um, unrenovated front house. But I mean, if you're starting out, uh, 
it's great. I mean, you are in an up and coming suburb. If you um, have a job, you can afford a mortgage for that. Essentially. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. It's there's some some really good buys. If you get up to about the four to four fifty range, you'll pick up something on eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand square meters. House on it may or may not be renovated. You know, around about four hundred thousand, you'll get a three by one or a four by one. It probably won't be renovated, but if you get up to four twenty, four thirty, you'll get something quite nice on those blocks. Are people making money renovating in Forestfield? Are they even renovating at the moment? Oh, there are some very clever people out there right now doing house flips in Forestfield. Wow. Uh, people who are in the know um, in you know real estate or, or just sales or house flipping know that you know sex sells right and there's some people going out there and they make these houses look so sexy yeah and they renovate them to such a high standard and um you know i've got one lady out there right now who's absolutely making a killing doing house flipping she's just but she does it it's a profession and she's really really good at it and it works in Forestfield. it does work in Forestfield. it works in Forestfield, mate you've just got to you've got to pick the right property and you've got to know what you're doing um i see people do it right and make money i see people do it wrong and not make money um but there's definitely money to be made if you do your research and, and pick the right property. There are some newer estates in Forestfield. Can you pick up a big family four by two that you can't subdivide just you know just for, just for the family? Do, do they exist in Forestfield? Yeah, they do. I, so I live in Forestfield in kind of called the Fruit Bowl area or the Strawberry Way and, and Nectarine and Apricot. That's the street names. They're the street names, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's called the Fruit Bowl out there. In that area, you will pick up a family four by two on six hundred square meters, anywhere from four fifty to five hundred thousand. Big houses as well. Some really good sized houses out there. You can pick them up cheaper. You can pick them up about four hundred in that area, but the houses will be a bit tight. But if you get up to five hundred thousand in that area, you get something maybe two hundred to two hundred and twenty square meters internal living. You'd expect maybe a, a venture or a Ross North home. Is that, that the Western Estate close to where the new train station is going to be? It is, yes. That is the closest area to where the train station is going to be. So although the train station probably isn't quite walking distance from there, you are still going to need to drive to it. Um, ride a bicycle? You can ride a bike, mate, if that's what you do, yeah. if that's what you're into. Yeah. But um, yeah, that will be the closest area of Forest Field um, currently to the to the train line. That, that section of Forest Field borders on Maida Vale. I can just imagine a lot of young FIFO families who have got some good income because of the decision they've made in their lifestyle to go FIFO. Mm -hmm. They want to lock and leave. The Sparky wants to have his family in a nice newer home in Forestfield. That's one station from the airport. They've lived in the area their whole life. They like that. He just pops on a two-minute Uber or a 10-minute bicycle, lock and leave, goes to his shift, comes back a week later on his bicycle, and there you are. Go back five years... If we had houses for sale in Forestfield, there was a very, very strong chance that it was a fly and fly out buying it. Because you were getting good sized family homes, you quite often got those sheds as well. FIFOs love their toys. They generally had jet skis or Monaros or something to go along with it. High Wickham, Forestfield, that's who our key buyers were. We're Heat. just waiting for that to come back, aren't we? <laughs> Please bring that back. <laughs> um, it was terrific. Uh, so, heaps of people from New Zealand coming over and buying. Um, yeah, just. Heaps of people coming over from the East Coast and the I suppose they were just looking at the income they were making in Perth and saying, well, rather than just renting, because at the same time, renting was, was pretty ridiculously expensive as well. Um, a lot of people who were doing fly and fly out were just sort of saying, oh, well, let's just buy something around the airport. Mm. Um, I think when FIFOs get off, they don't want to sit in the cab for an hour. They want to get home as quick as possible. Yeah, they're doing a lot of commuting. So once they get off that plane, it was five minutes to get to Forestwood or High Wycombe. And yeah, that's they were just they were great buyers as well because, you know, every home open had ten people at it. 
so multiple offers and that was really popular at that time obviously with perth going the way it's gone over the last few years the mining hasn't really been there so a lot of those people are now actually the people who are selling up and leaving as well taking a hit taking a hit yeah i don't think there's many people in perth if you bought five years ago you're not taking a hit if you're selling right now yeah no and look that's a reality for most suburbs that's whose median house price is underneath the perth median house price mm. uh and that's reality if you are selling we did an episode on this a couple of weeks ago if you are selling in 2019 or 2018 uh generally it's for a reason still because unless you are in the top third of, of suburbs in perth prices haven't gone up to a point where you're looking to make a profit mm. so uh, it is a reality and i guess that is also on the flip side where there is chaos there is opportunity and buyers can identify that and with the right information can can really pick up in my opinion some extremely good buyers with great growth fundamentals and those being we're going to talk about it now the development options in Mm -hmm. the suburb with the development uh, zoning changing last february yep we're a year out a year in and not much has happened the shopping center obviously being upgraded people wouldn't realize that it's quite a nice place now uh, and the airport link hasn't come in yet, but when it does, I think it's really going to change the face of Forestfield, and I'm sure you agree with that. Let's talk about development options. Uh, I was a massive proponent uh, for these changes because I'm a big believer in urban infill gentrifying a, a suburb. Mm-hmm. And Forestfield, I guess, half of that, that suburb needs gentrification, as you said, that east of Hartfield Park area. And we're just waiting for small-scale developers, I guess, to really latch onto that and start putting through class two developments and triplexes and whatnot. We, I guess we haven't seen it being picked up as much as we'd like, but uh, maybe you can give us a bit more of an explanation as to what's out there and what is ready to go in terms of development. Everyone's still just holding back on it right now. There's definitely people getting in buying, starting to buy these properties because they know that the potential is there. A lot of properties that were rezoned have had the dual coding put in place and there's obviously restrictions of what you can and can't do on the back lots. Those dual codes. Yeah, they are. And so no one's quite prepared to jump in and take the punt on it yet. I have seen the first one in Forestfield on Carissa Way just pop up where they've chopped up a R20, R30 block and they're building two-story in the back. So it's the first one I've actually seen. So it will come it'll start happening those people i went and had a chat with they're actually building it because it just works for them as an option for they're going to live in the back house i think dad's going to live in the front house or something so it wasn't an investment that they've done it for um it just worked for them for their for their family situation it'll be good to see the price point though for us developers out there looking for hard evidence on yeah. our numbers yeah it will it will be good and i've i've said to that chap i said oh, once you're done let's come through and let's uh throw up a price on it so if you are looking in Forestfield, you're still looking at that that area east of hartfield where most of the blocks are about 800 to a thousand square meters you know you're looking at triplex sites through there for a lot of them it has happened people have done that already you can see the sales evidence for it but if you were looking at doing it now i suppose people are running the figures on it and saying well with the market the way it is do they want to jump in and take the punt I suppose where I see the real opportunity is that being at the forefront of, of what's, um, what is happening in the marketplace, like we are, as agents, we're right at the coalface and, and you're listening to the, the sentiment changing in the marketplace where a couple of years ago it was like, no, it's not time, it's not time, it's coming back, that's changing. People know it's time. Yeah, well, you said that to me. We always we have very frank conversations over the phone, Glenn, and I remember a year ago you saying to me, Trent, it's dead here. It really, you know, there's not got anything going on. And it was only a, a month ago when I called you to say, how's things going out there? And you said, mate, we've had our best month in a year and a half. Things are moving. 
uh, it's really quite interesting. And, and I said to you, why is that? And you said, look, people are just more positive. Things are happening. You can just feel it changing out there and people are saying, well, hey, let's get in and buy these properties now. Maybe we're not going to develop it now. But, you know, by the time it starts going up and everyone knows it's time to jump in, you've, you've missed the boat. You've, you know, there's 30 or 40 grand that you've, you've dropped if you just got in at the right time. I speak to a lot of brokers as well um, and they're writing more applications than what they ever have before. So it is happening. It's, mm. it's changing. Those blocks out there, there's three parts of Forestfield. You've got the old part, which is the Hartfield Roadside. So that's your development that's, specific area? That has always been the area that if people are looking for development, that's where they've targeted. That's where you had the R25 coding already. So they said, look, we can retain and build or we can chop it up, whatever we want to do. But they've got the options out there. Now, um, probably two thirds of Forestfield have, have got those options. It's only really those new housing estates where you don't have any dual coding and you can't really do any subdivision. And you wouldn't you wouldn't make any money out there anyway the prices are too high even if you do not you'd have to knock the house down and you'd make no money so yeah those houses don't need knocking down they're nice good quality fairly new houses that's your family friendly sort of estate area where you want to get into it's your canning vale yeah. sort of yep. feel yep. for forest field yep. you just kind of go in there and hey you know we've got low maintenance gardens and sadly are now putting up some big playgrounds through the area as well so that's that's great you've got some real community hubs out there where where families can all meet and greet so finally Let's have that chat about the median house price and uh, what you do with it. I ask every agent every week, I'm sure you know this, I'm sure you're prepared, Glenn. Every week I ask our number one agent, what's the median house price in your suburb? And if you had that cash in your pocket, what would you buy? Median house price in Forestfield right now is just a touch under 400000 It's about 399000 So That's ridiculous, by the way. That's lower than I thought. Yeah, so you're talking 16K from the city. We're just about to get a train line. You know, there's, there is a lot happening in that suburb right now. And for that $400,000 point, you can go in and you can buy, retain and build subdivisible property. That's what I'll be looking at. Trent. Good point. If that's what I was going to, if I had the 400 in my hand, that's what I'd be buying. I'd be buying one of those properties where I you know, live in this front house right now. 750 square meters, something like that. Yep. So most of the blocks in Forestfield are 700. They go up to about 750. And then when you go to the older side, they, they're at 900 to 1,000. So might not, I, don't, I don't think we could afford that for 400, the 1,000 square meters. No, the 1,000 square meters push up a little bit. They get to a sort of 430 to 450 right now. Yeah. So if I had the 400K, I would just be looking at these 700 square meter blocks. Um, you pick up nice corner sites for that. There's, there's some corner sites, 700 square meter corner sites going now with really nice three by ones on there for about- Double brick. Double brick, yep. About 330, 340,000 wow. you can pick them up for. So, I mean, that's amazing value. That is yeah. amazing value. I do my numbers on Forest Field at that price and around that 330, I think we're still making about eighty ninety thousand dollars $90,000 on a house, on a retain and split even. So yeah. there's money there to be made for people who uh, choose Forest Field as their development option. Yeah, and the, and the people come in and buying it now that no one's actually coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to do this right now. Like smart people. And what I love is that they're first home buyers as well. Like you've got some really savvy first home buyers out there that are getting good advice from mum, dad, whoever it might be. Um, guys like yourself, Trent, they come into your, you know, your seminars and saying, oh, well, I can make some money in real estate. Mm. I mean, if you can turn around and make 70 or 80 grand in the next couple of years. As a first home buyer, that's another a, deposit. Yeah, exactly. You know, that just moves you on to bigger and better things. Glenn Newland, thanks a lot for your time, mate. I appreciate it. And hopefully uh, next time we chat Forestfield, we'll have even more positive things to say. Awesome. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. 
If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!